0: Suspended between two golden statues are we. Last Sunday's spectacle, I'd like to thank the Academy. Oh, I'm not finished, I'm not finished, wait, wait, wait. And this, this week's reading, the reading for the the week that we find ourselves in, Parshat Ki Tissa, which of course is the archetype, the paradigmatic, the emblematic story in our tradition of idolatry. The story, odd in so many ways, not least of which of course is its location, nestled between the two portions that deal with the Mishkan last Two weeks and the two portions that will deal with the tabernacle of the Mishkan in the next two weeks. It shocks us to the core, and the rabbis were also shocked by it. They compared it, of course, to a, a marriage that had gone awry under the chuppah. The rabbi saying, Can it be that the bride was idolatrous was adulterous under the chuppah, The Jewish people, the Israelites, Immediately after the experience of Mount Sinai, the moment after having experienced God's revelation, they build themselves a golden calf. And so it brings into stark relief the question of idolatry, the question of of that that, that theme that takes up so much of the Bible itself and our own tradition. I'd also like to shout out that it is the bovine Shabbat, of course, because not only are we speaking about a golden calf, but this Shabbat is also Shabbat Para, the third of the four special parashiyot that will be read before Pesach, before Passover. It is a reading about another kind of calf, another kind of cow, one that came to, to purify those who had come into contact with death, and we'll come back to that towards the end. Everybody has their Torah, everybody has their, their beautiful Torahs, the Torahs that move them, the Torahs that they try to live by. Parashat Kittisa has one of them. It's brought in the name of the Meshach Chochma, of Simcha Mayor of Davinsk, who asks about this breaking of the tablets. Moses breaks the tablets. Of course, it seems from the simple reading of the text that Moses is angry. He's a little bit peeved at the Israelites. He was upset. And so we read it as if, you don't deserve these tablets. You, Israelites, are so far removed from these tablets, you shouldn't get them, or maybe Moses has an issue with anger management. Whatever it is, Moses, right, in the non-Mel Brooks version of it, (laughs) throws the two tablets down, and they break. The Meshachachma says something very powerful. He says that Moses actually is coming to teach the, the Israelites a lesson, to give them a, a direction, a prescription. Moses, he says, broke the tablets on purpose, which is, of course, a very well-known rabbinic statement when God said to Moses that you broke God gives Moses a in the rabbinic imagination for having broken the tablets. And this Rebbe The Meshach says that that yashikach, that congratulations that God gave Moses for breaking the tablets, was was a yashikach, a congratulations, because Moses recognized that the Israelites, who had experienced such an intense revelation at Sinai, had immediately turned to to creating a a golden calf. They had idle mind. They would make the tablets into an idol. And so says the Meshach that he broke the tablets to teach them that anything can become an idol. Anything. Reminded of a story of David Wolf Blank, alava shalom, rabbi in the Renewal Movement, who was, a, an, early, he was an early emissary of the, of the Lubavitcher rabbi, He was a Chabad student, and he was sent out to convert Jews who had gone off the path, And he came to a town where there was a Jewish Zen priest. What else? What then, right? So a Zen priest who's a Jubu. And he comes to see him. And he sits down and he's thinking in his head, wow, look at this. Look at this nice Jewish boy, Ayid. He's sitting with all of these idols, these little peselach of Buddha and who knows what. And I'm going to bring him back to Judaism. So he starts to talk to him. And and finally the, the Zen priest says to him, so what are you doing?" He says, I came to bring you away from all of these idols that are, that are in your studio. He said, Oh, these? These idols? He said, Yes, those idols. He said, Oh, really? These are idols? <laughs> he picked up a Buddha, he walked over to the window, opens up the window, He says, Is this an idol? And he drops it out the window. And he turns to David Wolf Blank, who was very religious at the time, and he says, Let me see you do that to your Torah. This is a true story. And guess what happens next? David Wolfblank becomes a Zen uh, meditator. <laughs> so at the, heart of, at the heart of the question, what is idolatry? Eric Fromm in his book, You Shall Be As Gods, writes that since we don't know what God is or what God's name is in our tradition, theology is absurd. Talking about God is, frankly, absurd. We Jews attest that nothing can be said about the divine. He says instead we should develop something called ideology. What idols are and what they're not. He goes on to say, and he gives his own definition, that idols are things, and therefore they aren't alive. God is alive, el chay v'kayam, living, and as such, man Human beings that try in some way to live in the presence of the divine in a sense are saying, we affirm life. And by extension, he says, in the last analysis, that idol worship is a love of death. He says that alienation, to be alienated from yourself, to be alienated is to embrace thingness. Echoing, of course, Martin Buber's categories of I, it and I, thou. That to be engaged in a thing relationship, expecting the thing to give you what it can't, is the essence of idolatry. Or to quote my dear friend, Rabbi Misha zion who wrote beautifully this week, that idolatry is that internal criticism that might be deifying something that is not. Something that is not the deity, something that is not absolute, something that is not the last resting place. So where does that begin in our story? That's where I want to go right now and come back to the para. Where does it begin in the story? Where does the moment of idolatry to some extent, where does it begin in our egel Hazahav, our golden calf story? Where does thingness occur? It occurs in a very essential moment. This is, I'm throwing it out there. Take it for what it's worth, my conjecture. God says to Moses, the Jewish people have strayed from the path. Suru min ha-derech asher tzivitam. They have suru. They have strayed. Suru. I thought, where does that appear earlier in the text? And I looked it up. And sure enough, my intuition was, was right. Moses is the one in our Torah who is sar Ot. Moses is the one who turns to see the burning bush back in the beginning of the book of Exodus. And when God says to Moses, the people have strayed, they have suru, it hit a chord in Moses. He knew at that moment, he knew at that moment that they had not walked that edge between the love of life and the love of death, and they had turned. And it was in that tenuous turning, the turning that he knew so well in himself, he saw a burning bush that was not consumed. And he comes and he burns the golden calf. As if to say, things can be burned and that thing that can never be consumed, that is life. I, Moses, turn towards life. I turn to those things that are enlivening, those things that are ultimate, those things that are true, that last, not to the ephemeral, the thing that is built today and tomorrow can be burned. What I turn towards can't be burned. What I rest in, what I take refuge in, can't be taken away. I am rooted in what is indestructible. Moses knows the lesson of turning, of suru na. And God says to him, Your people, suru, your people turned. You didn't inculcate them and you didn't give them in that sense. Maybe you failed. There's an argument in the Talmud between the rabbis whether God says, you failed, I failed, it wasn't me, it was you. They're your people. No, they're your people. But there is an art to facing life. There is an art to facing life. And the moment we turn from life, we turn towards the thing that can't carry us, the thing that we can't depend on, the thing we can't rely upon, the thing that will always recede from our grasp. I was sitting today with someone whom I know very, very well. He's my best friend, probably, and he's quite successful. And he was telling a story. He said he works uh, for a billionaire. And he said, I can't tell you how unhappy this guy is. People are afraid to be near him. He walks around the office, and people hear him coming. They walk to the side. They avoid him. He barks at everyone. I said, that's crazy. He said, I'll tell you another story. He said, I went to another friend of ours who's also very financially successful, and the first thing he said to me when I walked in the door was, what's the secret of that guy you work for? And my friend turned to him and said, what secret? What do you mean, the secret? You have everything you could possibly imagine. What are you resting in? Will that be there for you? Will it hold you up? Is that where you ground yourself? When we're sick, we know that the things that we hold on to, they can't be held unless they're true, unless they are ultimate. And I had the good fortune this week to sit with two women who... Whose children at a very young age had a brush with death. And I asked them, I asked one of them, I said, what is your definition of spirituality? What is the purpose of all of our spiritual practice? And she said to me, spiritual practices are, are there to remind us to live an undefended life. Our spiritual practices are here to invite us to live a life that is awake. Our spiritual practices are here to defend us against what Rav Kook said is the ultimate heresy, which is to try to define God, to try to take something alive and verdant, something green and giving, and to make it into something stone. That can't carry us. The Midrash says that the reason Moses ultimately dropped the tablets not like Mel Brooks, he didn't have three, was that at the moment that he came down and saw that they had strayed, he saw with his own eyes. It says the Midrash, the letters that were written onto the tablets flew off the tablets, and the tablets fell to the ground, broken. The letters on the tablets were what kept the tablets up. It wasn't Moses. Moses the letters on the tablets, the life, the charut, the liberty, the independence that comes from living the life rooted in turning towards the truth. Asura na ve'er'eh, I will turn to see. There is an art in facing life. May God bless each and every one of you and me that on this Shabbat, when we burn a cow, to show us that the burned cow can purify us from the confusion of death, which as its heart is idol worship. The burned cow, the paraduma, the perfect, perfect thing in the world, the perfect academy award, is thrown into the fire and then sprinkled on us to say, don't try to catch this. Rest in something deeper. Rest in something more absolute. That's the source of life. May we all be blessed with that and let us say Amen.